Exponential Trust Times is the unique AI channel of trust that offers an innovative formula of mentoring at scale for youth people from all around the world. I'm Dr. Lobna Kari, Executive AI Strategy Growth Advisor and Digital Transformer for Fortune 500 and 440 for more than two decades and the President of AI Exponential Thinker. Leader is an innovative podcast that invites C-suite leaders from different countries and sectors, sharing our audience a journey full of incredible experiences, exponential potentials, and insightful vision about the sustainable future in times of exponential technology. Our guest today is Kimberly Smith, Global Vice President Cloud Innovation Services at IBM, former Capgemini, uh, Chief Digital Officer, Executive Vice President and Corporate Social Responsibility Officer, and one of the top, the 10 most influential women in cloud in 2020. Welcome, Kim, to the show. Thank you so much, Lula. It was really a pleasure when you asked me to join you today. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Thank you very much. As we discussed before, uh, now you are the second one that I invite from Seattle, and hopefully we meet after that face-to-face uh, -face after COVID-19, let's say. <laughs> so it's great. So as, as, as we said, this is an authentic conversation. So we will address, uh, try to approach your great experience through a couple of topics that was uh, highlighted by the audience. So we are here to listen generally to the audience and ask the questions and generally put the topics according to what they are looking to listen from you. The first one is much more about the three decades of your experience. So you have held multiple leadership roles that even me inspired me too much, let's say, in your career in great company like the Bank of New York, Microsoft, Adobe, Capgemini, and IBM from 2018 uh, as a global vice president, as I said. So your universe is fully in technology, innovation, and cloud across many industries and sectors. Uh, we are very curious, Kim, if you have to pick up the three magic moments in such exponential journey, what will be this moment? Mm. So I, I would say, you know, the three really uh, compelling moments, I call them moments in my journey uh, that have really defined uh, the next stage of where I want to go, or in fact, have anchored me and created some connective to in who I am as a leader, include um, you know, my time at the Bank of New York working in, um, in college, actually full time to pay my way through college. I uh, ran risk management. And, you know, in banking at the time, there were, and probably is the case, there are quite a few uh, mergers and acquisitions that go on at any given time. And so where I spent my time was in risk management, which uh, new markets would we go into, uh, which new ventures would we take on. And I lo loved applying my background in SaaS, statistical analysis and engineering, to really step back and do um, new analyses, determine what kind of take on as a business. I even built authorization system for the credit card industry at the time. So um, not just dependent on your credit score, we would look at insurance, we would look at uh, other information and really start to build technology that um, balance made sense to take certain risks with not going forward with unconscious bias. 
And that was really early in, in the stage of development around AI in the banking sector. I think the banking sector in particular and fintech was really ahead of the curve at the time that that and, and developed. And I think my experience in particular that I still use today is knowing that at every day situation, we all take on risk. And the question is, what is the right related risk? What is the smart risk to take on? to pay back the best ROI for that particular situation, whether it's um, which way am I going to take to get from point A to point B in my car um, to really determining, you know, what portfolio of investment does, does my company need to think about as the next stage of transformation and how we serve our customers. And I still use much of that logic today. So that's the area. Um, the second area of a kind of a moment of truth for me that um, that really propelled me in my thinking in my career was moving financial services into directly into technology and being a consultant and helping multiple industries figure a path forward. What I learned from that is even big incumbencies, even large scale Fortune 100 companies go through massive change every day. And that massive change can happen in small spurts. So just something as simple as uh, changing a workflow in an organization or um, changing the way your organization is structured in one department versus another has massive implications in the future state of that company. So being in the consulting world, I really learned how to stop, look, and listen before making predictions or assigning risk to situations um, from you know, my earlier state uh, opportunities. And what, what that did was it helped me really um, define with large-scale companies, CXOs, how they needed to identify their own transformation and what type of change was needed to get to the right level of velocity of innovation. And, and that required companies to think about three things. Number one, um, how fast did they want to go? Um, how complex was their existing infrastructure and organization to allow them to, to follow that trajectory? And were they prepared for the velocity that their aspirations uh, were set for? And, and the reason that that last point became most critical in learning that through the consulting world is that there were many companies that very high aspirational goals for their own transformation, but culture would not allow that strategy to occur. And so we know that culture eats strategy every day of the week. And I would say that that was my second moment of truth is really working with, with organizations and understanding the importance of culture and organizational change management and treating people uh, more importantly than process really defines how a company is going to be set up for success. I've tried to leverage that throughout my career. And then the third area is recently in the last four to five years, being able to bring 100% of who I am as a leader and as a person to every role that I take on. There are many points in our careers where we can all kind of look back and say, yeah, I had to be this in order to achieve that. Um, but the reality that I learned over the last four to five years in some of my more senior leadership roles is that an organization needs to kind of accept me as a leader for all I bring. And in, in turn, what that allows me to do is give more, is engage more, is be more holistic and open my own paradigms to accept things that perhaps I would normally close out if I wasn't thinking about the whole picture. So being involved in boards and supporting the United Nations and the European Union, uh, working with women in cloud, uh, working with Call for Code and other organizations that drive sustainable leadership legacy 
Uh, that is really core and part and parcel to everything that I do. And so I learned that if I step back and think of a problem I'm trying to solve, whether in my personal life or my professional life, it's really critical to look at that whole picture. What's the good that this will serve? What is the long-term you know, impact of what I'm trying to achieve far beyond whether I'm here or not? I think that, that that third milestone or aha moment in my career has really allowed me to, um, to be more humble and to be more honest with myself about what is important, what, what drives success, and how to achieve my goals. I love what you said about uh, being humble, you know, and using, at the end of the day, your expertise and your experience uh, in, in some project, valuable project, to give back to the society, right? whether it is with the, within the United Nations, but other projects that you will talk a uh, little bit more uh, about them later as well. We will talk about sustainable goals and your role um, in, in order to achieve, uh, hopefully, uh, and, and rapidly together those goals, right? So the topic too, uh, Kim, it's about female leadership in business. Uh, today, it's within a worldwide business journey. You led a huge portfolio of business solutions an enterprise technology initiative across Fortune 1000 company, mainly Fortune 500 as well. You sold uh, and delivered over $50 billion in product consulting and super engagement. So can we have a snapshot of this incredible business journey? And what are the main key of success in the competitive area of generating and growth revenue? Well, I, I will say that um... You know, a snapshot is that in each role that I've had in either building net new business models, improving upon existing models, or breaking apart and rebuilding and reimagining and redesigning business models, um, the same core tenets apply. Uh, I think what what I've really taken away from those moments and what I've you know snapshot is. Um, at, at the end of the day, stepping back and saying, you know, what is it that we want to achieve here? So, for example, if we're going into a new business scenario, the cloud is, it's been around and pervasive for well over, you know, almost 15 plus years. And digital has been even longer. But the reality is forever evolving and therefore businesses have to look at it very differently in how it's going to impact their evolution. And what, what I've really seen and learned and apply every day is, is the, you know, we are all not coming at this from the same direction. We have our own backgrounds and our own expectations. And so never assume that what I know is what you know. And the first and most important thing is to set some governance and guidelines and expectations about what is it that we want to achieve? You know, what is your why? Why are we here? What do we want to accomplish? And then you can focus on the, how we get there. And I think, quite frankly, we all sometimes get caught up how we get way before we solve the why. We assume that everyone agrees on the or the mission or the vision, but when you read a charter, mission, or vision, it's still very nebulous. Now, if you're ever in a situation where you have to explain it, and the, the sustainable development goals are a perfect example. There are 17 sustainable development goals. And if you read them, they make total sense. Gender equality, sustainable cities make sense. That's the why, and then you get to the how. But many people automatically assume, well, we have to solve for, you know, the, the global problem and the issue of diversity. But we haven't really thought through, okay, but why? 
right? And what is it that we're trying to solve for? If you can't solve the same problem, if you're not coming at it from the same perspective, then it's really hard to build out the tactics. Look at the tactics, you know, the 109 plus tactics that are behind the sustainable development goals, um, you'll see very specific. They have to be smart, right? They have to be really measurable. They have to be quantifiable. They have a timestamp on it. They have to be something that's specific. Without that criteria, without those guardrails, it becomes really difficult to be set up for success. So when you strip away every job and most roles I've had, the job description didn't exist. I had to build it from scratch. And what I've learned in every case is focusing on the why and then the what and the how really allows you to build a fundamental plan that can be reused again and again and again, no matter what problem you're trying to solve. And I, I can think of multiple instances in my career and in my day-to-day -day life now where I apply that. If I find myself or the teams that I'm working with getting too caught in the weeds or we're not seeing things eye to eye, then to me, what's clear is that the why hasn't been established consistently for all of us. And we need to pause, we need to step back, and we need to figure out how to solve. It's great. It's, it's a sort of a framework that we can use it no matter the problem, no, no matter the context, right? Impressive. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because we are complex beings. You know, what yes. makes the human yes. race yes. amazing is that you don't have to have the answer to the problem. And in fact, AI, as an example, isn't going to solve for every possible instance out there. Your brain is wired to help you really think about things in the moment. And it's a great opportunity before you go there, because we're all instantly taken to, well, let me solve this problem. Pause and ask yourself, why you're trying to solve the problem before you get to the what and the how. You know, Kim, um, you, you said a relevant part that I want to um, stop on at least one or two very quick. Working for two decades uh, in digital transformation for my case, um, sometimes I meet some customers who told me in some department for sure, to be precise, they told me digital transformation is everything. So from where we have to start, where we have to start, Right. So given um, the, the framework that you share can help as well uh, in order to, um, you know, to start to know where it's the most uh, valuable part, measurable part, maybe that uh, less risk for sure uh, and more uh, potential to start. Generally, I start by finding the way where we can uh, find the part that is more valuable, less risk and uh, more measurable in order to help the shareholder to see the benefit as soon as possible, for sure, for everyone. But my question is, um, uh, from your experience in, in digital transformation, what are, like, what are the two or three points that really make people struggle, uh, make, make things uh, uh, tough? Uh, what are the things that you can highlight today? Well, I, th I, I think the first thing is, um, again, as I mentioned, we're all problem solvers at heart. That is part of the makeup of the human DNA is how do we solve for a problem before even sometimes we truly understand why we want to solve for it and what that particular problem is. Um, th that is the biggest challenge. Uh, when we see something we think we, isn't the way that we would do it, or uh, perhaps could have been improved, upon, we immediately go forth and trying to fix it. And uh, I, I really, um, I implore us to move out of fix it mode and move into maker builder mode. 
because what allows us to be truly successful in any venture that we take on is uh, not necessarily assuming that we have to fix what's broken or we have to replace what we think is inefficient or ineffective, but asking ourselves, what, what can we do to build upon this? What is the next chapter of where this is going to take us? And how do we get there? And it's that, oh, it's that ever so slight pivot from negative to positive to say, this is broken and I need to fix it. And how do I fix it to, you know what? The information that we had and the way that we approached this till here was the best that we could do. We have more information now. We have more data. Where do we take it from here? And what that allows us to do is stop focusing on the past and start focusing on the present and the future and how we're going to get there. It really saves cycles. It, it, it addresses anxiety. Uh, it deals with you know, decreasing the amount of barriers that we set around ourselves and territorial behavior. And, and it's, it's as simple as removing the word but from our language, replacing it with and. That is the type of thing that really makes a difference. It truly does. And you said something in the introduction as well. Uh, it's about culture. Mm, uh, it's about culture. And when you uh, try to understand the culture, it will give you a lot of insight to, to see how to figure out or define or build a plan that is most appropriate for the team, the department, the sector, the industry. It depends again, right? Well, it does. And I will say that, you know, let's not assume that that is pointing out that culture can't change because culture does evolve. As you introduce a new member to a team, you have a new team every time. And culture evolves just as you think about making a complex dish. I love making curry chicken for, for my daughter. It's one of her dishes. And while I have a recipe, it changes slightly every time. And never once does she complain because the reality is that it will never be the same. You know, we're all snowflakes on some level and it will you know flakes at any given going to build a completely different landscape a beautiful landscape and we have to accept the fact that the the reality of this is that our perception individually will change over time which therefore will change the dynamic of a team which therefore will change our culture smart being open and of a growth we can do a better job of adjusting our culture to what it needs to be versus what it has been in the past. And I find that organizations that maintain a consistent culture year over year, decade over decade, tend to struggle with the growth velocity that they need to achieve because they're not as agile. Um, and you see organizations that aren't any, around any longer because of that. True, true. Uh, so we, we start talking a little bit about sustainable goals uh, and in 2018, uh, Kim, you, you were appointed as a global vice president at IBM with the unique mission to lead portfolio strategy and growth across IBM services, research and products. Almost three years in this executive role, we are curious to learn more about this current mission for sure and, and your role uh, in the part in the in IDEA Agen. I need to say it correctly, but correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, United Nations Initiative in support of solving uh, for the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals of 2030. 
And I'm very, very curious to learn more about this part. Well, you know, what, what I love about IBM and, and frankly, I've loved the opportunity to work for all of the amazing companies that, that um, I've had the chance to be a part of. In, in IBM, um, we are a business of makers and, um, and curious minds. And what's fantastic about that is that while we're very much focused on solving complex uh, business and technology issues, um, each of us individually know that no one person has all the answers. And so we come together in our DNA in a way that allow us to adjust the chemistry of anything we're trying to solve um, to support the best situation that, that aligns to the why, right? Um, when I joined IBM, I joined in one role. I've been there three and a half years now, and uh, I've had five roles. And in those five roles, I've been able to keep some consistency for the things that I joined the company to achieve. And I've been evolving as the company evolves. I am able to adjust and be dynamic and be adaptable as the company requires you know, adaptation. For one of the largest, longest running companies, I mean, it's been around for over 110 years, 400,000 people. I am every day amazed at how agile IBM is at being able to meet the companies that we work with, the ecosystem that we work with, where they are, and adjust to be able to support the growth of those organizations by empowering them with technology and brilliant minds. And so, um, you know, giving me the opportunity to continue the work I've been doing with the United Nations over the last decade, um, IBM has given me a platform to be able to do things like help us drive the Empowering Women and Girls Summit at the United Nations every year in September. Uh, we've done our call for code efforts at NASDAQ, building out things like solving for human trafficking. Um, I saw this. Solving, it's nice. Solving, it's, it's really amazing. It's really amazing. And, and if you think about things like, you know, um, um, stepping back for a moment and thinking about what happens when there's a natural disaster, we all think about things like um, uh, food scarcity. We think about you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs not being met for people, and you see the influx of things like resources available to the Red Cross or FEMA, for example. What sometimes we forget is the cost of the human casualties that come along with that. And one of the biggest human casualties that occurs in natural disaster includes human trafficking. And what, what happens is really some um, you know, nefarious organizations can swoop in in those scenarios and take advantage of um, less empowered individuals and put them in positions of risk as you know, children, women, um, really anyone who's, who's in a position that uh, perhaps they would not necessarily be served if um, in, in that capacity, if that problem didn't arise, right? They would have had the protection that they needed in a normal scenario, but when a natural disaster strikes, everyone um, goes to solve for those basic needs for natural disasters and no one thinks about the human cost. And so, um, you know, I, I think about the opportunity that IBM has given me and my peers and other executives to help solve some of those problems through our innovation programs, through our call for code programs. Um, what that does is it lets me use my whole brain. It lets me be a human while I'm trying to solve technology problems. That's what gets me up in the morning. That's what keeps me thinking at night. That's what makes me a good parent and a better person. And I am very blessed that IBM gives me and everyone around me those opportunities while still holding us accountable to meet our business goals. Right. You know, I was invited last week in a, in a podcast and 
and uh, the owner of the podcast, let's say the host, uh, decide to make the, the introductions uh, that I said in one sentence. Uh, the most rewarding part of my journey is giving back to the society. Uh, and, and it's the, the, like you know better than me that it's something that is exciting in every single moment in the day because you feel like you are helping one person at the, at the time and then 10 person and then maybe 100, you know, and as you gather more people, you will do more together, which is amazing, right? It is. And there's so much injustice in the world. Um, there's injustice uh, at multiple levels. There are people that are in the 1% that are suffering uh, for various reasons uh, due to inequity that exists. And there are people at the lowest possible levels of socioeconomic support that are also suffering. There are ways that we can create um, that invisible thread to solve a lot of those problems just by coming together and being there as a community of you know, experts, of, of capable executives and powerful organizations to solve those problems. Great. So let's move to another topic, recognition. Uh, one of the latest recognition was your nomination as one of the 10 most influential women in cloud in 2020. Uh, by magazine Insight Success with a remarkable woman. Uh, so let, let us know more about such a rewarding right uh, part. And firstly, congratulations one more time. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I feel I feel very blessed and humbled by that recognition. And if you if you look at some of the other women, you know, Lani and Gretchen and Chaitra and others who are on that list and their amazing accomplishments. Um, I, it's just, I, I, I'm getting chills now just thinking about the company that I have the opportunity to keep. Um, but it really is because, you know, these leaders uh, that have been recognized give back. It's not just about being successful in your career, it's what you do with that. And Women in Cloud is focused on identifying and making available over a billion dollars in economic empowerment for women-led businesses around the world and minority-led businesses around the world. And that includes policy changes. So there are seven countries uh, outside of the United States that have signed agreements with the United Nations to solve E-Trade for All. And what that means is if you're a large-scale company and you're going to go do business in Canada, guess what? You have to have a specific percentage of your business supporting diversity and inclusion, and that means a women or minority-led business. In the city of New York, um, the chief diversity officer there really grades government agencies on whether or not they support diversity-led businesses. And three or four years ago, she gave them a flat-out F for doing that, and those agencies kind of went ballistic. Um, and she explained to them what they need to do and how they need to do to fix that. And sometimes you have to start keeping score and making those issues visible for people to pay attention. There are some consequences and there are rewards that can be provided to be able to support um, the right level of economic development. And I think what Women in Cloud has done a great job of doing is using policy um, to create smart, again, measurable and attainable goals within specific timelines that organizations can meet. And what the UN has done is they've invested focus and put the world platform together for businesses and for nonprofit agencies to work better in public-private partnerships to solve those problems. So um, that's one area. The second area is mentoring and guiding women-led businesses. You know, the pandemic has been problematic for a lot of reasons, including the safety and well-being and health of, of everyone. Um, I, 
my blessings and prayers to my colleagues in India right now who are struggling sure. immensely. And we look at India as being one of the major economies who's been providing the majority of vaccinations up until now. And now they're in the position that, that they're in the, that really requires that we all step in to help in, in that market. And, you know, when get economies like India and the amount of time and energy and money that they put to making sure that businesses that come do, do work in their country give back to their economies, that's holding us all accountable. And, and I love doing the work with Women in Cloud because what that does is it, it, it establishes a marketplace and a platform to make it easier for those government agencies and large-scale private organizations to do a better job in how they come together and solve those problems because it's hard today. It's hard to figure out where a government agency and a large scale company who works in that economy to do a better job in serving um, the underprivileged or uh, serving diversity and inclusion. And what Women in Cloud is one station of the thousands that are out there uh, does is it sets that platform up so that those agencies can work better together. And you know we have uh, uh, we have high cognitive capacity and we have exponential technology today. Both uh, both resources, huge resources, to help solve such complex problems and mm -hmm. uh, and let people live a better life today. Uh, hopefully, COVID nineteen give us the opportunity a sort of opportunity to dig deeply on those problems, right, and solve them today. Uh, um, uh, hopefully uh, soon. So in AI Exponential Thinker, we create a new concept, uh, Kim, name it, share the stage, to open the debate and accept uh, questions from the audience. We have two questions where we name even the, 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 the guest. I mean, the audience is, is coming to be a guest with us now. So the first question is coming from Megan. She has 34 years, and she's from California, and she asked it. I'm a technology advisor working in the space of innovation and product management. I feel that digital transformation is a true dilemma, despite the success story that we hear about Fortune 500 and other companies. From your perspective, how company can accelerate their digital transformation today? Oh, there are probably three areas that any company needs to think about. And, and when I took on the role of chief digital officer at Capgemini, we, we had to look hard at this because we thought we were technologists at heart. And frankly, if you, if you Google um, digital transformation, Capgemini at MIT actually coined that phrase uh, several years ago. And yet we still had to think about our own journey. Um, the three things that I think they, the companies and organizations need to think about are things that I touched on earlier in our discussion. The first is how quickly do you want to get there? Um, and, and assuming that you've solved for the why, right? Why? Um, and then how quickly do you want to get there? Is it that you want all of your people to have mobile access to everything that they need? Are you trying to solve for other companies' problems and you want to be able to have data at your fingertips, you know, what, why are you trying to address it? And then if you're going to address it, what are the resources at your disposal to allow you to go as quickly as you'd like to go, right? And then finally, is your leadership mind? That is the biggest inhibitor yeah. or accelerator in any organizational success around digital transformation. So it's, why are you doing what you're doing? Um, 
you know, what is it that you have at your disposal to get there? And what is the velocity you want to move? You know, what is this pace of the velocity in order to move to get there? And then finally, is your leader shined? Because if you don't have that top-down commitment, if you don't see leaders moving in the right direction quickly enough, then it's not going to happen. I think T-Mobile, uh, AT&T, I look at companies that I watch out in the marketplace, Starbucks, companies that had really a completely different charter than, quote, digital transformation at their onset, that have completely converted everything that they're about to become digital concierge for us for consumers, for businesses, they've established a platform, they've established a plan, they've established empowerment and accelerators so that we can all do our jobs and live our lives better. Organizations that look at it from that perspective um, serve uh, the goals that they've set forth for themselves. Um, you, you know, uh, you speak about the leadership and it's very important to say it more and more uh, because um, today's uh, people was expecting that uh, digital transformation success depends mainly on technology back to a couple years. And after two decades, I start saying that digital transformation success depends on people, mindsets, and then technology. So there is another order to put because technology is enabler and we are able today and we prove that we can scale it, you know, it's successful, it brings a lot of insight and benefit and revenue. Now the question is, what about people, mindset, culture, you know? And this is where I think the why, uh, the framework that you propose can help uh, in order to uh, give the purpose, right? Uh, define clearly the purpose and the mission in order to engage people. And I, and I find it very valuable um, and thank you for uh, Megan for the question. The second question is coming from Manaitia, 39 years from Tunisia, and she asked it. As a mom of two kids and young and a young adult of 15 years old, I'm wondering about the hype of social media and how technology are creating a sort of addiction for young people. What are your thoughts in this topic? And should the education system create such awareness? Mm. It's a tough one. I am a uh, I am a single mom of a 13 year old, and I have to tell you that this is something that I think about every day. Um, I think what we need to do as as parents, in in my mind, and what works for me, is setting um, boundaries, but allowing for um, for your you know with those boundaries, allowing for your child to be able to identify and be part of setting limits themselves. When we're empowered at any age, uh, I don't know if any of you have read Ender's Game, but it's a very telling book. If you if you read it, it's sci science fiction, but not that, that fiction. Um, but if, if you think about how a young developing mind works, um, we all get fed by positive reinforcement and social media has the ability to um, create kind of that addictive mentality of constantly getting fed positive reinforcement or, or forbid, you know, in unfortunately the situations that um, negative reinforcements that, that can crush you because they're two steps removed of, of, from being real and authentic. People can remove themselves from that, um, taking ownership and, and accountability. And, and that even exists, you know, in areas like our court systems today. If, if there are, if you look what's going on in the judicial system, 
um, you don't get a voice. Uh, you don't, aren't in court anymore. And so a judge cannot see you. Um, so because of that one step removed that the current situation with social media and technology provides, it, it does this counteracting, creating addiction and creating detachment all at once, right? And, and that's happening in our day-to-day -day lives. As I mentioned, in the court system, it's happening in our jobs. We're one step removed. So maybe we're not as nice as we would normally be, or maybe we're not paying attention as much as we would if we were in the room with someone. That becomes a very um, uh, desensitizing for children. And it also becomes um, very comforting in, in a way. We as parents and as leaders need to do a good job of stepping back and not letting that become so pervasive in their lives that they lose touch with reality. That's a hard place to be. But at the same time, empowering them to be part of the decision-making process is key. What's great with all of these technologies is there are boundaries, there are limits, and there are things that can be used to be able to manage we have to be really insightful and pay attention to those tools and use them in our everyday lives. Getting outside, making sure that we're spending time yeah. doing activities that aren't online and living and breathing that ourselves as adults, because as we all know, our child, our, our children see what we do uh, versus hear what we say more effectively. And so, you know, not having phones at the dinner table, going outside more often. And um, really limiting your own access. I saw a cartoon the other day that showed a pie chart of before and after COVID. Before COVID, your day in the life shows a very small window of when you're working. After COVID shows 100% of that pie showing you're working. And it's true. You may think you're working and you're diligent from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. at night, but you're also checking your email constantly. Your children see that. Yeah. And they think that, you know, why is it okay for you to do that? But they cannot. We have to set our own boundaries first, and then we have to act in the way that we want to see them um, really model us. You know, and as you said, uh, kids, uh, they uh, learn from what they see more than what they hear uh, and, and, and pushing them to read. If you are not reading, uh, from my experience, it doesn't work. That's why you, you need to show them, not to show them to show, but to take the book, take uh, 30 minutes in a day, you know, and read when they read. And they generally, they try to uh, copy you, you know, and say, okay, if she's reading, my dad is reading, so I need to read, right? And for instance, yeah. you said another thing very important, Kim, about authenticity. And social media, unfortunately, is, is not showing the authenticity of people and showing much more the wow. For vulnerable kids, it's not something that they can administrate because for mm -hmm. them, it's like Disneyland 24 hour by 24 hour, which is not true. And this is not life. This is not a concrete life. You know, generally when I meet my um, customers or new colleagues, they told me, you, you are like in LinkedIn. You are really like in LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> this, these are my posts, my idea, my thoughts, my work. So for sure, I'm learning from other people. I'm trying to highlight the positive of learning from, every, from everyone. So it's not only me, but it's, you know, I'm trying also to highlight the other people who, what they are inside. So you're, you, you're very valuable um, advices for, uh, for Nadia. We are approaching the end of the episode, uh, Kim, and we start talking about sustainability and, and we want to dig a little bit on sustainable future now. We have three very quick questions. The first one is, how looks the future of work? Hmm. 
well, we're getting a taste of that right now. Um, if you think about all that you've been able to accomplish in your day-to-day -day job for, for everyone who's been blessed enough to keep their jobs during this uh, during this, this situation that we've been in over the last uh, 12 to 16 months, depending on where you are located, um, the, the future of work is on all the time. And, uh, and it's a very different place. We're all ER doctors at this point, right? When you're on, you're on and you're on all the time. Um, it's, it's really being thoughtful about the fact that, oh, um, I actually have the flexibility to take a break at dinner time, go pick up my child uh, in the middle of the day, take them to school, go to the doctor, but I'm going to need to get online and finish this later tonight. And so the future of work is getting uh, smarter about setting boundaries and being smarter about how we spend our time. Uh, we all work hard for those of us that are in the situations that we're in. I think everyone has the propensity to work hard at what they're passionate about. The important aspect is working hard does not necessarily mean working smarter. If you've got an inbox of uh, 1200 emails, powering through those emails is not gonna make you do your job any better. So uh, the future of work is really being smarter about how we spend our time, adaptingly and be sure curious about um, what success is going to look like. And again, anchoring ourselves in the why. Why am I doing what I'm doing? What is the goal I'm trying to achieve? How do I think I'm going to get there? Where do we need help? How do I get support? Um, I touched on the social media comment a, a moment ago. Social media has become incredibly empowering in the technology world and in the business world. Um, and I'm finding that we are all in a position where now um, we have a, a larger platform that we can connect with one another. Using that platform for good is really going to be important. And so the future of work is, is bringing together our personal and, and our professional lives more and more every day. I think we start talking a little bit about education and the skills, you know. Now, now uh, if, if we can have the three skills that we should acquire for mm -hmm. this current yes. decade, decade. So Yes. So I would say the three skills are um, being able to quickly ascertain what's important and what's not important, right? Uh, so just being able to step back and use your analytical skills. I, I go back to my risk management. Uh, what risk mitigation what I'm put in place? What calculated risk am I going to take with how I spend my time right now? Because there's nothing to me more precious than my time. Um, the second is really being... Um, uh, being able to, to determine how best to present your, your most authentic self in mediums that don't lend themselves well um, to be perceived in the manner that you mean. And that's mm -hmm. very hard. We, we have to change our communication styles. We have to change our communication methods. We almost have to have more outreach and engagement with one another, which can be exhausting. And that leads to the third thing, and that is putting more time and energy towards self-care and engaging that's so that you can bring 100% of yourself forward to get your job done. Perfect. So at the end of this discussion, we are curious to know more, Kim, about your biggest achievement so far. And what's your next dream that you would love to achieve one day? I think my, my biggest achievement is, um, is really as a parent and being able to bring my, um, you know, the best of who I can be to the relationship that I have with my child first. Uh, and to allow her to see me in all facets of what I do, including when I fail and being able to recover from those failures gracefully and allowing her the uh, grace and space to solve the problems that she needs to solve in her lifetime. So uh, if I can do that well, if I can continue to support her in the way she needs to do it, I think that's uh, going to be 
you know, far beyond any other achievement that I will ever be able to accomplish. And what is the dream? Uh, well, I think my, my dream is to truly see these sustainable development goals for 2030 achieved. I, I, I really live and breathe that on a regular basis. And um, I, I look forward to being a part of those solutions. We have a very short window to get there, less than nine years. And, um, and I, I would just love to look back at the top of that mountain and say we did it together. Thank you very much, Kim, to be with us. Thank you for this great discussion. It was our pleasure to share the stage together today. Thank you, Lumna. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Take care, everyone. Thank you. With more than 50,000 young people empowered in time of pandemic and uncertainty, we are grateful to our remarkable guests with exponential experiences and from great organizations such as Amazon, World Economic Forum, Harvard, Google, Berkeley, and more. Thank you to our great audience and keep tuned for this new episode in the unique AI channel of trust by AI Exponential Thinker.